to know the person that I was, but to see the people who would come in there just as broken as I was. Mm. Those environments are so much like Satan's playground. Uh-huh. I mean, you've got greed and lust and I mean, just all of these things, you know, debauchery, just, just everything, drunkenness. It is just rampant. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Fearless with Mark and Amber, the intersection of faith, family and filmmaking. If you are just joining us, welcome to the show. This is a husband and wife podcast where we share all the behind the scenes of what the Lord has us doing in this season of life of making films from a biblical perspective. And today we have a special episode. You guys are going to get to hear our sit down interview at Bot Radio with Scott Kump where we share our personal testimonies. Which we've done before on this podcast, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of people that have just joined us over the past couple of months and and maybe haven't heard our stories. Mm-hmm. So this is a, a two-parter, your story and then my story mixed in with it in the way that we met and started our ministry. And it's uh, the story of the Lord taking two broken paths and putting them together into one one body of Christ mm-hmm. and putting us together as husband and wife and blessing us with a ministry to be able to make movies mm-hmm. and podcasts and reach many, many people, many, 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 many people. <laughs> all right, you guys. So let's get to the show. Today's subject may not be suitable for all listeners. And while parents, for example, are finding something to occupy young ears, let me say a little bit about today's guests. Mark and Amber Archer of Fearless Features have been on the program multiple times. Their thought-provoking film projects include Inwood Drive and The Mind Polluters. We'll get updates on both movies at some point, but I wanted to focus today on their individual and collective backstories, which are just as compelling as what they put on the screen and may reveal why they care so much about their current project. I'm Scott Kump, and it is my pleasure to welcome Mark and Amber Archer back to Life and Faith Indiana. Thank you, Scott. Thank you for having us. And well, let's go ahead and, and do the update right off the bat. Now, I think the film we've talked the most about is Inwood Drive. That has been released mm-hmm. actually for some time and of course released in the midst of COVID. And originally it was just a home video release, if you will, but you've had a chance to have at least one screening now and there are more on the way. Yes, we did. a. Its first public screening was uh, not too long ago. It was hosted by Students for Life at University of St. Francis. Right here in Fort Wayne. Right here in Fort Wayne. Mm-hmm. So an appropriate place to start. It was very well received. We got to meet some people who were involved in this fight down on Webster Street that were oh, actually really? in the film yeah. that, <laughs> that we didn't know. And so we got to connect with a few of them. And there are some other screenings that are starting to get scheduled as people emerge from... COVID hibernation. COVID hibernation, if you will. (laughs) Well, and if people have not seen that yet, I do want to point out there are a few shots of the Bot Radio Network's Fort Wayne Studios in there. Mm -hmm. So it's worth watching just for that. (laughs) And Mr. Bot himself is in the film. That's right, yeah. But Inwood Drive is the story of the itinerant abortionist George Klopper, who eventually got shut down and the process by which he got shut down throughout Indiana. Now that your current project is called The Mind Polluters. Tell us about that. The Mind Polluters is the story of, it asks the question of how did the over-sexualization of our children and our culture happen? And the way it happened is through our education system. And so that is what the Mind Polluters is. We started off thinking it was just about something called comprehensive sexual education and social emotional learning. But when you start to expose the roots 
of this, you find out that it twists all over the place and goes everywhere. So it has been quite a journey. And so you guys are getting deeper and deeper in, in the weeds on this and mm-hmm. probably feeling like you have to take multiple showers and you're <laughs> yeah. dealing with all of this. Yes. And you're still in the filming process at this point. One reason I brought this up is the subject we're going to talk about today, indirectly at least, relates to your most recent film. And I'm not even sure how I first heard about your individual and collective backstories, as I like to say. I don't know if I heard about it from you or for somebody else, but I I found it, again, very compelling. It's a great example of the redemptive power of Christ, which is what we ought to be all about as a Christian community, as a church, or as a Christian radio station. And it explains a lot of your passions. And Mm -hmm. I wanted to gingerly get into the topic. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going to make a kind of a shocking statement. The two of you met in a strip club. Mm -hmm. That's right. So Amber, let's start with you. You were working there, Mark. You were a patron, if Uh, you will. And I'd like to hear how you both ended up there. Uh, You go first, honey. I'll go first. (laughs) I'll go first. I was a good student. So when I started dancing, I was 20. And I was looking just to move out. I wanted to earn extra cash. And my sister actually came to me. I have a twin. So they actually used to advertise us on the radio, the Twin Towers of Fort Wayne. And so... She and I, we made a plan to move out of mom and dad's. We just didn't want to stay at home anymore. And so there were people who convinced her that there was a way you could make quick money. And so she came to me and said, hey, we can make quick money. Let's go over here and try this. And that's how it really began. That's how it started. We just really wanted to move out and be on our own and have our independence and freedom and thought that, sure, we could do this. Didn't see anything wrong with it. You say you were 20, so legally you couldn't even be in a bar at that point. Right. Well, we couldn't drink because Mm. illegally you're allowed to be in the strip clubs if you're 18 and employed as a dancer. Ah. Yeah. Interesting. I know. So that's why. So you didn't drink. (laughs) Well, now. Um, So the bar environment is not one suitable for anyone, really if you really think about it, but I quickly began doing drugs and drinking and became addicted to drugs and alcohol. Mm. So I spent five years of my life in that bar environment. Well, and it's not surprising when you're in that environment where you're being exploited constantly, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of self-medicating that goes on. Take the edge off. Yeah. Yeah. To deal with everybody else's problems because, and that's, that's, what's really heartbreaking um, even today to think about it. And to know the person that I was, but to see the people who would come in there just as broken as I was. Mm. And I used to tell people, and I tell a lot of people even today, you know, those environments are so much like Satan's playground. Mm. I mean, you've got greed and lust and I mean, just all of these things, debauchery, just, just everything, drunkenness. It is just rampant. It's contained, you know, in this small section, but it's ugly. Yeah. And years ago, when I interviewed Vicki Burris, she had told me that the strip clubs, a lot of times they're fronts for organized crime. Oh, yeah. Uh, Lots of drugs run through the strip Mm -hmm. clubs. I want to pause for a moment and point out that there's probably a lot of detail that we won't get to. But I also heard the story on your podcast and people can get to the podcast or get any information about your films at your website, which is fearlessfeatures.org. Okay. So you're kind of stuck in this environment. And one thing I did hear from the podcast is this big money you were making was all cash. Oh, yeah. 
So I'm guessing a lot of it wasn't reported. (laughs) 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 So you were in this environment for, you said, five years, getting involved with drugs and alcohol and probably some of the wrong people and hanging out with other people who were drug addled or alcohol influenced. Mm -hmm. And that led to a painful accident. It did. I was actually out with my girlfriend. I was working down in Indianapolis and staying with her. And we went out one night just to go out and, you know, have a good time, but ended up getting so drunk. And they took me and put me in the back of the car. And while they stayed out and partied, we had several of our friends. And the next thing I knew is I woke up and I had, there were a team of people standing over me and they were sewing my tongue back together. Mm. And I had no idea what was happening, where, why I was there or what was going on. And so after they got done treating me and all of my injuries, I got taken back to a room and I asked the nurse what had happened. And she said, we were going a high rate of speed down I-75 down in Indianapolis and there was construction and our car never stopped Mm. and it went up underneath of a semi-trailer and the top of the car had come down and crushed my (sighs) face. And Mm. so the driver was killed on impact and I was stuck and they had to cut the car open to get me out. And you were unconscious through all. I I was, I had, I have no recollection of the accident whatsoever. And I guess, yeah, one thing we should be grateful (laughs) for in the midst of all this, because I mean, Imagine reliving that mentally Mm -hmm. and that sort of thing. And this is one of the reasons I'm not just talking about the sexual content that I thought maybe not all ears want to hear this because Mm -hmm. I remember I I remember feeling a little woozy hearing you describe your injuries that, okay, your face was partially. It was crushed in. Crushed um, in. You had glass in your face. Oh, yeah. It was embedded. (laughs) uh, And took a number of years for you to get all the glass out, right? Yes. Even even after Mark and I met, because the accident was in 2003, and Mark and I met in 2005, mm. and I had still had a big char of glass in the middle of my nose, like at the top of my bridge. And wow. Yeah. So you're in the hospital. How long were you in the hospital? Well, in Indianapolis, I was in the hospital um, just for a couple of days. And my mom and dad came down and brought me home, but they couldn't treat me because my mouth was wired shut. And you know, I had... So you had to eat, drink everything through oh, the straw? They were, yeah, they were blending everything so that I could even have any sort of nourishment. But the pain was so bad because after the accident, I was so inebriated, they couldn't give me any pain medication. So mm-hmm. I, you know, I laid there and they were just working on me mm-hmm. <laughs> like, okay. Live and learn on that one. But I actually ended up at the burn unit at St. Joe ah. for a time. Yeah. Now you had to have, was it multiple reconstructive surgeries? Yeah, I've had three reconstructive surgeries on my face. Mm. And I remember from the podcast, one of the reasons why you, the other reason why you were avoiding the pain medication was your thought process was drugs led me here. Oh, addiction. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Yeah. It was while I was in, especially at the burn unit and, you know, I was hooked up to a morphine pump and I remember my nurse constantly coming around and telling Amber, you need, you need to use the pump. Mm -hmm. And I just, I would like refuse. So I would sit there in pain. And at one point I just wondered why I was even there. I thought I can go home and sit in pain, (laughs) you know, but my mom just couldn't bear seeing me, you know, agonized because it was, it was very painful. And you did eventually end up going back to live with your parents. I did. Mm -hmm. And 
once again thought, I need to get out of here. Um, well, there was there was a reason why I had to go back and live with my parents because I actually, while I was in Indianapolis, I had warrants for my arrest. Mm. And so I had been avoiding those for three years and I actually ended up having to do house arrest at my mom and dad's. So <laughs> Amber was not good and shiny, you know, we, we don't come prepackaged, yeah. tied up with a bow that everything's glorious. And how long were you under house arrest then? Um, it was a couple of months. I don't remember exactly how long. But you did eventually want to get out of that house again. I did. Well, and probably, well, for one thing, you wanted to be, just be able to go outside. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I did. And once I got off of house arrest, the first thing I did was went right back to dancing because I knew it was the quickest way I could earn money. Hmm. And when I did that, I saved up enough money for six months of rent and a new car and I moved out. And hmm. that was you know, just still trying to be independent and be on my own. So was there still some drug or alcohol use because you're still in that environment where you kind of have to numb your senses to what's going on? It had really dialed back and I was really resistant to all of it. I mean, after everything that I had been through and I thought I can't go down this road again, you know, I was, I was desperate. I was searching for a way out and Mm -hmm. I didn't know how. And Mm -hmm. I remember um, in my apartment, I remember just pleading, pleading with the Lord I didn't know the Lord, but I thought if there's a God, I need somebody to help me. And I was actually on my way home from the strip club and it was early morning and there was a church sign (laughs) uh, out in the median and, you know, come to church at the movie theater. And I thought I should go to church, you know? And, um, sure. Not realizing that you were going to marry a filmmaker eventually. (laughs) (laughs) It is ironic and the Lord has a sense of humor, Mm. but I started going to a little church down a startup church down the street that started at the rave movie theater. It's the point church now, but it had just started there. I'm Scott Kump, and today on Life and Faith Indiana, I'm speaking with filmmakers Mark and Amber Archer of Fearless Features. We're actually learning their backstory today. We had been discussing Amber's life and how she'd end up working in strip clubs, been through an accident, dealt with addiction and all kinds of other things, and was starting to seek a bit on spiritual matters. By the way, if people want to hear the podcast where they can hear a lot more detail about this or learn more about your films, where do they go? Fearlessfeatures.org. Amber, one of the things I remember from the podcast was you talking about your view of the men who are coming in to ogle you in this situation. You didn't have a high opinion of them. No, and and I just, I despised men. They were so not just the men in the in the club. No, all men. I just yeah. I was just disgusted because of what I constantly saw, and what what I saw in the men was just a lot of brokenness. But I was just disgusted by that because mm. I was being used for their pleasure and gain, and what was what was there for me. And so then, this guy named Mark Archer walks into this <laughs> environment. <laughs> so, Mark, let's turn to you a little bit. Okay, how did you end up there? Yeah, that's a really good question. What in the world was yeah. I doing there? <laughs> because now, uh, in the interest of full disclosure, you and I have kind of known each other for a lot of years, but mm-hmm. it's more been we knew the same people. I've right. even spoken to members of your family. And when I heard, uh, oh, Mark had been in there, well, that actually surprised me a little bit. Then it should have, yeah. <laughs> I grew up in a Christian home, went to a Christian school, pre-K through 12, went to a solid biblical church 
So I grew up knowing better. I knew all the right answers to all of the questions. And I had become a believer when I was very young. So I grew up from about age six as a believer. That didn't stop me from falling when I got out of high school and out of that environment. Because part of it was I was a very awkward for my age. I didn't really get along well with people my own age. Ah. I had high aspirations for my career. I wanted to make movies and I would very quickly progress through whatever anybody could teach me about production. And I was always looking for more. And so that led me to seeking out advice from anyone I could find. And unfortunately, that led to a lot of bad influences. Yeah. People who worked in the industry who were teaching me things that were good for my career. Yeah. yeah, not wanting to generalize, but the film industry is not known for positive role models. <laughs> not generally, no. It's a very liberal-minded, very um, corrupted uh, worldview kind of an industry. And that's not to throw everyone under the bus. There are a lot of really, really good people in the entertainment industry, a lot of Christians. Um, and I was one of those. I was a Christian trying to get into the entertainment industry. And I did. And I, I was, uh, I had a lot of early success in my career, but the more success I had in my career, the less I cared about what God wanted for my life. Mm. And so I was very good at bad decisions. <laughs> was just, that was one thing that I excelled at was, was advancing my career and making bad decisions, especially on a personal level. And so I had a series of very bad relationships and they just kept toppling, you know, on top of each other. And that included a couple of questionable engagements that led to a questionable marriage. Yes. And uh, the questionable marriage did not last very long at all. She was an atheist. She was an atheist and our marriage lasted on paper, a little less than two years. In reality, less than that. And so when you ask, you know, what led me into a place like a strip club, I was just a broken man. Mm -hmm. I was starting to deal with all of the consequences of my bad life decisions catching up with me. And I, and I didn't want to deal with them, mm. but you know what? You can't run yeah. like Amber was talking about. You can't run from these things forever. And I had to start facing them. But at that point I was a lonely broken man. And I, and I was dealing with what I would call a casual addiction to pornography and all of those so you things. Each had your own addictions. Yeah. Yes. So that's what leads men into a place like that. I mean, there are a lot of reasons, but I think a lot of the men that end up in a place like a strip club, it's because we live in an over-sexualized culture and pornography is the, the secret sin. You can hide this addiction a it's lot of times. easier now than ever now that it's all gone on the internet. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I was more and more uh, drawn in and seeking some kind of meaning I mm -hmm. guess in companionship. And when, when you go through a divorce there and Amber will attest to this, there's a lot of divorced men who end up in places like that. And ah. then it spirals even further because there's a gaping hole in your life and you're looking for someone to fill that hole. And it's a quick fix. And it's also an addictive fix because it's pornography. And so it's easy. Yeah. And when you talk about drugs and alcohol, there's a chemical element 
to the addiction, yeah. to the dependence. But there, because of endorphins and that sort of thing, there is a chemical element to something like a pornography addiction. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the reasons w- with any of these, you want to tell people don't start because once you start, it is so hard to stop. Mm-hmm. Which is and, why it's so important with the mind polluters and what we're yeah. doing. And that does explain, I think, some of the passion mm-hmm. behind your interest in this project, because to a certain degree, you've lived through some of the results of that. I mean, some of this over-sexualization that we're dealing with in the entertainment industry and in our education system, it's like a recruiting tool for those strip clubs, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. for the women to work there, for the men to frequent it. Right. And and I would make a note too, that I I want people to understand clearly that when I, when I talk about what led me into a place like that, I'm not making excuses. Part of being a man is owning up to what you have done and the decisions you've made. And the reason I was in there was because I was running from the Lord and I made those bad decisions and I was dealing with the consequences in the wrong way. Mm. And so what led me in there was my sin. Yeah. And to men who are dealing with that, and I know statistically over half of the men that are listening to this right now are dealing with this kind of addiction in one form or another. Mm. And I've had friends that I used to hang out with and go to the strip clubs with who their addiction took on a whole nother level. And it led them to extramarital affairs and going to jail for very illegal things. And I just know how, how out of control this gets, but I also want men to know that the Lord can set you straight. There is no addiction in your mind or chemical addiction that you cannot overcome. The Lord is the key to that. You you don't have to get cleaned up to come to the Lord. You need to come to the Lord to get yourself cleaned up. Yeah. And that's important. And that's something that I think we're going to want to unpack in more detail. I just find there's a couple of things that I find interesting. One is that when you, the two of you met, you were running away from the Lord, Mark. Mm -hmm. Amber, you were just starting to inch toward the Lord. I was. (laughs) Yes. I needed something in my life. I knew that something was missing. And, you know, I used to walk around, there was a cemetery near my apartment and I would go over there and just walk in the cemetery. I mean, it sounds weird and kind of morbid yeah. maybe, but, <laughs> no, but, it's quiet, <laughs> but it's quiet and peaceful, but you just, you just walk around and, and I always, I would just look around. I think there has to be more to life than this, Yeah, more to life than, than how I'm living. This is not the way to live. Yeah. And Mark, I have to wonder what the thought process was for your family or maybe people you'd grown up with Mm -hmm. watching you. You said you made one bad decision after another Yeah, and they were watching this. I wonder if they were pleading with you and wondering, is he is just going to keep getting worse? Is he ever going to get better? There was a lot of tears shed, a lot of prayer through the years. I know that there was a lot of pleading, but you know, I, I was very stubborn and, um, You know, it started in my teens. I thought that I knew everything. And by the time I got into my late 20s, I really knew that I knew everything. Right. And nobody could nobody (laughs) could tell me anything. And then, you know, but, you know, reality doesn't care whether you believe in it or not. It is what it is. And and what I found was it started to smack me really hard that all these things that I just kept denying, I had to start admitting that mom and dad and friends who had been praying for me and trying to counsel me and plead with me that they were right. And 
the hardest thing for someone, for the prodigal, the prodigal son is, yeah. is, is that the hardest part of that prodigal son's journey is admitting I would be better off starting over and going back. Just let me start over and eat slop because that would be better than where I am now. And that's where I was. I, I had ruined my life. I had just completely crumbled. Okay, so we're going to end on a bit of a cliffhanger, and I, I think I'm going to ask the two of you to stick around and give us more details for another week. Okay. But sure. I, I just want people to picture this, and this is not what we normally recommend as a, a courtship or a dating service. For, <laughs> not at all. Um, for Amber, you're, you're working in this place, and you see yet, in your mind, another one of these perverts showing up. Right. I think that's the word you used. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> showing up and Mark, you encounter this woman with glass coming out of her face. So that's kind of where we're leaving it for this week. We're going to ask you to tune in again next week to life and faith, Indiana, because obviously the story is not done. But before we wrap up, I want to remind people about your films. The finished one is Inwood drive and people mm -hmm. can order that on Amazon, or order it through your website. There are screenings coming up. Uh, the one that's currently in production is the mind polluters. And that at least indirectly ties into our topic today. You're still raising funds for that. So people can contribute to that as well. Mm -hmm. uh, and they can also listen to your podcast, which among other things, it, it talks about the filmmaking projects, some things that you've learned, things you've uncovered and discovered through these projects as well as the story that we're talking about. Now, you also have a book that's a companion to Inwood Drive. And where do I find any or all of that material? Fearlessfeatures.org. Fearlessfeatures.org. Mark and Amber Archer, thank you once again for joining us today. Thanks, Scott. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for sticking around and letting us share our story with you. We each and everyone have a personal testimony and story for Christ and what he has done in our lives. And thank you for listening today. Be sure to join us on Thursday to pick up part two and hear the rest of the story. Have a wonderfully blessed day. We'll talk to you on Thursday. Thursday.